Welcome to the Growth from Grief podcast, where we interview individuals just like you who are dealing with their own journey from loss to growth, along with mental health experts, growth guides, all with the purpose of helping you heal better, improve mind, body, and spirit, and find your new purpose from the loss and the tragedy that you have experienced. Hi, I am Tom Pasello. I'm a growth evangelist, founder of Growth Through Grief, and I'm also a fellow widower. I lost my beautiful bride of 19 years, Judy, some five years ago. My guest today is Helen Keeling Neal. She's a licensed mental health counselor, licensed marriage and family therapist, and a nationally certified counselor with a private practice in my hometown of Winter Park, Florida. Uh, as well, Helen is on the board for us here at Growth Through Grief, so we're really happy to have her. And her a mission on the board is to guide our practice in all things concerning the mind and mental health. Uh, prior to her work in that area, Helen was a creative. She served as an adjunct professor at the University of Central Florida in radio and television production. She's the director of a children's art studio, my art studio, and president of multimedia agency Emerge Media. And uh, unfortunately, Helen has a personal experience with grief and loss as well. She is a widow and her husband passed away when her children were only four and six years old. Helen, welcome. Hi, Tom. All right, Helen, we are ready to talk about a topic that I think is really important mm -hmm. to a lot of widowers, mm -hmm. uh, but one that I don't know if many of us talk a lot about it, um, whether mm -hmm. it's to each other or to other people. Um, and that's dating, dating after <laughs> loss. You know, when yeah. someone becomes a widow or a widower, society yeah. definitely has certain expectations about, you know, what's the proper mourning period? When should you start dating again? You know, is it six months? Is it one year? You know, but every one of us knows that we've gone through a different journey uh, in our loss and our grieving in a different process. So the first question I have for you is around that, because I know this is a serious one that every widower, and I'm sure you as a widow grappled with, when is the right time? Yeah. Well, who the hell knows, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> Helen, I'm coming to you for answers. I thought you'd have, you know, like six months, two days, and, and you know, four hours. Right. Well, we're all different. We're all different. And then the process of losing our loved ones is different, too. So there are those like you. You went through a very long process of not having a partner who was able to engage. So a really long time um, where you would have felt lonely. Mm-hmm. You know, so in that aspect, one would think that you would probably want to date sooner because you'd be craving connection and craving being with somebody, someone else who might have had a sudden loss. It might be different. There would take <laughs> some time to get over that sudden loss. But we are all different. And it's really difficult because there are these social rules which are not clear about how long it should take. And then there are family rules, in-laws rules, which are not clear about how long it should take. And all are connected to their emotional response. If someone starts to date someone else um, after loss, they have an emotional response and, and possibly even a judgment. on it. So it really has to be about the individual. Yeah. And it has to be about the individual um, in what works for them. Now, that being said, 
what works for someone may be to avoid the feelings of grief at that moment in time and to immediately get into a relationship. The challenging piece about that is those feelings of grief don't go away. They just compartmentalize and they'll come up and bite them in the ass later with that. But again, maybe that is part of someone's journey. Yeah. Helen, I think you uh, kind of nailed my story pretty well. So Mm -hmm. my wife indeed had a long battle with cancer and Mm -hmm. we did not have a very close relationship to those in those last few years. Uh, She had a brain tumor that took a lot of um, a lot out of her and a lot out of the relationship, unfortunately. And so it was lonely. It was very, very lonely time for me, probably over those last three years um, without very much intimacy and that kind of partnership that we had so strongly, you know, before that, especially during the first, you know, five, 10 years of the relationship, the last, you know, kind of five leading into three years and certainly the last three was just not very close. So I was definitely um, needing, craving kind of that, um, connection yeah. coming out. Um, I would say that I was also vulnerable and ill-prepared mm-hmm. uh, at the same time to be out there. Uh, I didn't really have good faith. And honestly, I needed external validation, you know, looking mm-hmm. back yeah. at me because I had gotten my ass kicked through this process. Um, you know, I was in this battle as her champion as many husbands feel through the process, um, we want to solve the problem and it didn't get solved. And a guy here who normally could solve pretty much anything is now feeling really weak and without faith to turn to, to kind of restore that, I really felt the need for external validation. So it really didn't take me long at all to get into a relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that, it sounds like from your experience, that's not too uncommon for someone who's been through kind of my story. Yeah, it's not. I mean, you would be craving connection, craving knowing that you're attractive to someone and someone's attracted to you. You'd be craving sexual intimacy, um, all of that that goes along with it. So it's very normal. And, And I think too, you know, getting into a relationship right away it's part of your story. It's you needed that so that you could become who you are today. Mm-hmm. And that's why I tend to stay away from judging a time frame or a, a time window because everybody is so individual and everybody brings their own story. In. And not just the story of the process to the loved one passing away, but the story before that, how they were raised, their attachment styles, any trauma wounds from beforehand. So it really is an individual journey for sure. Yeah. And I am so, you know, grateful in some ways for that relationship, less than perfect relationship, less than perfect mm-hmm. timing. But as you said, it's part of my journey. And in that, yeah. um, she was a, a fitness instructor, spin, yoga, running. I was mm-hmm. able to um, not only make that connection, but really get back to physical fitness. Um, I lost 60 pounds. I gained my sobriety through that. And there were some invaluable things that I took away from that relationship. Talk about the importance of, even though, you know, some of these relationships might not be perfect, how important it really is to try to 
take things away from them that are are positives and learn yeah. from each of the relationships. Because honestly, I felt like I was back in middle school. Yeah. Going back in out there in the dating world. Um, mm -hmm. I felt like I was a child again from right. an experience and a, you know, a standpoint. And I'm sure that that's not unusual either. No, it, it's, it's right on. Well, you know, I think there's a need to practice dating when we're back in that sort of dating world. One, it's changed completely from how it used to be. The way you date and, and how you show up and how you meet people. There's so many different avenues now. And, you know, I was never very good at it anyway. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I had to learn how to do it. So I tell my clients to practice, to go out mm -hmm. and practice. You, the first time I went on a date, I remember this for myself. I, um, I, it was about 10 months in. I'd gone on to, what's it, eHarmony, that was it. Mm -hmm. Dang, that's a long thing to to fill out too. They have all these questions and everything about it. It was really overwhelming. So I go for dinner with this fellow and it was nice, you know, chit chat, chit chat. That was fine. About 10 months after David had died. And then at the end of dinner, we're in the car park and he's going to give me a hug. Goodbye. I give him a hug. Goodbye. And I went home and I cried for three days because he didn't smell like David. Oh, wow had cologne on and it was the wrong cologne. All my brain could say, the second I smelled that cologne, amygdala fired wow. and I just cried for three days. Like, this is the wrong cologne. This is the wrong person. It was really, really painful. Um, so, you know, we have different experiences. You used it as a way to get some needs met that had not been met for a very long time. It's okay. Mm -hmm. to and have you, those you, needs and, met. Yeah, and you needed to get out mm -hmm. there as part of the healing process to realize that yes. he was gone. Yeah. Yes, I, I need to get out there, sniff the wrong cologne and cry for three days and then pick <laughs> myself back up and get back out there again is what I needed. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, part of what you said earlier that I took to heart was, you know, if you do get out there, um, mm -hmm. is that you know, sometimes through the relationship process, if you're already engaging with somebody on a relationship standpoint, that mm -hmm. maybe you haven't done the work that needs to be done in the grieving yeah. process. Maybe you're just getting out there and substituting and pushing it down. Mm -hmm. um, talk about that a little bit. Talk about how important it is to do work ahead of time, mm -hmm. um, or at least while you're in the process to make sure that you're not forgetting about the grief process going through it and that you've gone through that properly and that yeah. you're properly prepared for a new relationship, which I, I know I wasn't through. And in either case, right, I didn't have, I was grieving through the disease process. So there was definitely grief that was experienced, but the passing, I really didn't reconcile because I jumped into a relationship. And also I didn't think about the relationship or who I wanted or who I should be with as a compliment, yeah. Yeah. what I wanted, you know, other than just going and doing. Yeah, wasn't so mindful. Yeah, <laughs> right? was not mindful. Right, but but nonetheless, good to to have it and learn from it. Well, I think mm -hmm. it. This is why I love your group, because I think your group creates a forum for men to do some of that work and to tap into the wisdom and experience of other men who've lost their spouses mm -hmm. before they get out into the dating world, because if 
that grief is not expressed and released, it will compound. And then if that relationship ends, then you've got a compound grief situation, particularly if the person doesn't want it to end. Or again, if someone else passes away down the road, you've got compound grief going on. So it's really important. But what grief work looks like to everybody is individual. <laughs> we know, you know, the stages of grief. We we hear about the anger, the sadness, the denial, the bargaining, the acceptance, right? I've always found grief to be completely nonlinear and that it works in pods. So I might go through that stages, stage around the fact that I have to be the only one now who's the financial provider, right? So you could be mm -hmm. in different areas and different categories. My children don't have a dad. Clearly that still touches me. When I told that a story in a, a previous podcast we did, I teared up about Kat's experience of, of um, being angry at her dad for dying. Mm -hmm. you know, so grief is done in a way that's nonlinear. It's in pockets and pods of feelings. So you can't plan okay, I'm going to grieve for the next six months and then I'm going to date because it doesn't work that way. And I think some of the greatest healing, as long as you're with someone who can understand and hold space for it, can be done in the current relationship. Because, and we see this even with divorce, even with girlfriends and boyfriends, ending, right? usually you finish up this piece of grief or continue with it in the new relationship because it kicks up the stuff that's connected to the old relationship. Yeah, and it, but you have to be with someone mature enough and kind of um, enlightened enough to be aware that your grief probably still isn't done a year in right. if you're dating a year later, two years in, you know, three, four, however right? It, it can still right. be 10, 15. Yep. It's going to pop up. You know, you may have, you know, cat, my daughters are 17 and 19, right? We're a long way away. We're coming up on 13 years of, yeah. of David having passed on, but there are going to be times when, you know, when one of them gets married, there's going to be a big gap, big hole in that. And there's going to be grief there. Yeah. Now it's going to come up for me. It's going to come up for them. Yeah. And so it's sort of a lifetime thing, just it gets easier and more manageable and further apart. Now, some of the work that we can do by ourselves, I know, is one recommendation is make sure that you're comfortable with being alone, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Being alone and do the work while you're alone so yes. that you don't need someone, so that you're not looking for that external validation, mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. you're not all of a sudden codependent with someone and yes. all of a sudden in fawn mode, which tends to happen once yeah. grief sets in. Yeah. Yeah. My least favorite movie quote is you complete me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You want them to be icing on the cake, not the cake. Yes. Yes. We add. Yes. Right. Yeah. So and again, I think this is different for everybody because some people, because of their attachment styles, will never, ever be able to be alone. You know, that <laughs> would take deeper work. So we're not looking at just grief with the loved one who's been lost, but we're looking at everything from those formative years and childhood years all the way up to the present and, on, and how that informs the grief process. 
Um, I took being alone as in not in a relationship to the extreme and, uh, you know, just dodged it for a long time. <laughs> for years, I dodged relationships. I'd meet someone uh, and then I'd just find a reason why it wasn't yeah, right, it wasn't good. Fun, right? the, the flight was your reaction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm really good at being alone. Yeah. Technically, I'm not alone because I have one kid left in the house, but not being in a relationship, I'm really good at it. To, but that's an issue too, because then it, it's like you get used to not having chocolate and you don't miss it. And then you have a little chocolate and now you're like, wait a second. No, I didn't know. I think maybe I do want a relationship. So it, it's this extreme place. Um, but being alone... And having that experience, I think what you're meaning is having space to have the feelings and to let them up. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, having your group is different from walking through it alone. So mm -hmm. it's really important to have a support system. But you're talking about not jumping into another relationship to medicate the feelings and shut them down about your grief. It's the medication. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. You're right. Yeah. yeah, and it takes practice to be in the same home where that you shared with your loved one. It takes time and practice to get comfortable with going to a restaurant that was special to you. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're ready, go and then cry yeah. and or get angry or, you know, whatever comes up for you, because that's an important part of the work. If we're avoiding everything and everyone as a way to avoid the feelings, then that's detrimental. It's detrimental to physical and emotional wellness, and, and it's going to be a setup for some pretty significant depression. If we can <laughs> let them out real time as they happen, um, or at least within a short time period, it's better overall. And yeah. to do that, we need a certain amount of being alone or solo to let some yeah, of them to out. create that space, I think, mm -hmm. to be mindful is what I was mm -hmm. getting at. And to do yeah. the work, to maybe go back and look at, well, why, where will you have attachment issues? And some of them, yeah. you've got to go back with a therapist yeah. to childhood, to your teen years and do some work there. Mm -hmm. So it's really the space to do the work and to be mindful. And then the mindfulness, two of the things that I did much later than I probably should have, Helen, right? So this is probably two relationships in, and then I'm doing the, this, this <laughs> mindful work, which, which was creating a list of values that I have for myself, mm -hmm. right? And getting those on paper and, and really keeping that list up to date. And then the second was, that was really important, was documenting values that I seek in a partner. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say that it's a checklist that you can go and, you know, oh, here's the checklist, you know, hand, mm -hmm. you hand it to your date while you're going in and say, okay, fill this out, do the pretest for me, and then we'll know if we get through this coffee or not. Yeah. We're not talking about that, but you do want to know what are the things that you value yeah. and whether it be in, in the way that you treat your body, the way that you treat your mind, your spiritual well-being. So around the well-being of you. Um, and then how you project that into the world. And then the second is, what do you value in a partner? And then how those two are going to match up. Yeah, so alignment. Right? Each other in a line. Yeah. yeah. Talk about that, Helen, and You're some looking... techniques you recommend there. Yeah. 
So you're looking for alignment. Um, it's particularly difficult as a therapist. I have, if I go on a date, I have to counsel myself. I'm like, this is not an intake. It's not an intake. It's not an intake. But it kind of is, right? We're doing intakes on each other. But the the key piece that you said, which I think is so important here, is you wrote down your values. You went in, became introspective, and mm -hmm. went on a mission of who you are. And from yeah. there, you went in, what are you looking for in someone else? And then from that there, it went helped. into what are we? Yeah, that order, I, I, I didn't want to jump in on you there, but that order, I think, is essential. Yes. Don't make the list for what you want in a partner. Correct. Until you've looked at your own list. And, and who really you are. And thought that through and who you are and maybe even some of the areas that you may want to work on that yes. may not align to your values, right? right? And not expect your partner to check off all the boxes that fill holes that you have in yourself. <laughs> Right, right. And and again, we have to sort of look back and attachment and upbringing, things like that, because the holes that we have or the the wounds from unmet needs in early childhood, mm -hmm. we tend to look towards our partners to fill those unmet needs from back there. Yeah. But nobody in the present can fill an unmet need from the past. We are the only ones who can fill our own unmet needs. So it won't ever work because we're just looking for someone to do something that they can never accomplish for us. Yeah. The other thing I think that a lot of people get hung up on is they'll have their value list and then the value list that, you know, they think their partner is checking the boxes on or not checking the boxes on. And then there's the future. So we talked mm -hmm. about the past a little mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. And talk about the future and the issues there because I think a lot of times – we will make up stories about the future and mm -hmm. kind of project goodness that may not be there or values that are not there on our partner because we're living in a fantasy world. Yeah. Because what we want, right? Yeah. Because of what we want and we want them to be that. And so mm -hmm. we project that on them. And meanwhile, they're really not that Yeah, we're projecting this fantasy on them. Yeah. Or two, we're expecting them to change some core fundamental things that they are today to match the values that we've got down. And it's like, oh, no, I know they're not spiritual, but I'll get them there. Or I know they're <laughs> yeah. not, yeah. you know, they don't like any physical activity in this area. I'll, I'll get them to do that. You know, they'll, they'll come to the gym with me yeah. every day. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about both of those in the future. Yes. Well, when one is in a relationship, there's a certain need for practicing radical acceptance of who that person is. Um, mm -hmm. Because if that person is like this, but if we could, oh, I could get them and mold them and change them. Hmm, that's just going to build resentment over time for both of you, because they're going to resent the, the sort of control of them needing to change so that they can be good enough mm -hmm. for, for you. And you're going to resent the fact that they're not changing quickly enough or in the way that you want them to change. So that is just relationally across the board. Do not expect the changes. Um, and then the piece about um, looking for, looking for the pony in the pile of manure when sometimes it really is manure and like you're digging around. No, there's gotta be a pony. They're going to bring the pony. It's coming in at any moment. There's a pony. I know there's a pony in here underneath this manure. They're going to be here. 
There's not always a pony. <laughs> Maya Angelou would say, if someone shows you who they are, believe them. One of well, my issues as a therapist is, you know, someone will show me who they are and maybe there's got some very selfish or narcissistic tendencies, but I'm like, again, that's just from their wounds, from their childhood. And I need to hold space and compassion for this person. But after, you know, a certain amount of time holding space and compassion for someone, it's time to get out. It, it yeah. really is because you're just not jiving on the same wavelength. And, and as a codependent caretaker, nurturer style person, which is me. And I think you're, you're some of that too, right, Tom, we mm, want absolutely. to see the best in people. We want to help people rise up and, and, but what tends to happen is we end up putting ourselves back down and settling for crumbs or less than because we're putting their care and holding space for them ahead of our own. And so it's really important not to self-abandon. You could even see it a little bit as a form of uh, toxic positivity of always seeing the best in someone, mm -hmm. but ignoring the reality. Yeah. yeah. And then what happens is, as you indicate, which is you don't have good boundaries for that yourself. Mm -hmm. And so you resent Mm -hmm. comes into yep. play, you yep. know, and you start resenting that person for what you're actually allowing to occur yeah. and what you're enabling to occur in yep. a lot of exactly. ways. Exactly. And not taking responsibility of showing up and the way that what I'm showing up or you're showing up in the relationship, it's all based on us and our own choices. Yeah. Yeah. We could spend hours on that. Yeah. yeah psychoanalyzing my mistakes <laughs> in that area. Totally. So, uh, but what I want to do is get on to, you know, I hadn't dated in decades. You hadn't mm -hmm. dated in decades. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden we lose our spouses and we're out there mm -hmm. again. And, right. you know, uh, I didn't ask for that. You right. didn't ask for that. Yeah. And there we are. Um, so 30, 40 years on for some of the brothers and now they're back out in the dating world. Yeah. How do you take the first couple of steps to meet a potential candidate and not just a potential candidate, but really good quality person? Yeah or people. Yeah. Cause as you said, you need to practice. Yeah. So I think that's one important element is you're not going to meet that first person. I mean, I know some may be that lucky. I have not been that lucky, but mm -hmm. right out of the gate, are you going to meet that first person? Right. Um, I don't know. I, I doubt it, but yeah. some have. So how do you get out there? Yeah. Well, let's face it. Dating is basically a shit show, isn't it? It's just, it's just, <laughs> It can be. Right. We've got the friends who are trying to set us up with their best friends. And then, you know, the pressure and that. And then we've got uh, Internet Dating where I'm really looking to tell some stories about that. And then we've got the bar scene. But, you know, that's not my scene. That's not your scene. And when you're when you're dating yeah. in the bar scene, there's a lot of alcohol involved. You're you're not. You're not dating that person. You're dating someone whose frontal cortex is offline already, as is yours. So you're not making maybe mindful choices or decisions within that. And then, you know, there's the spiritual homes where you can meet people at. But it's really difficult. It's very difficult mm -hmm. to do. Um, one 
after that 10 months, right, I waited a little bit and then I went out on another date on that one. I was driving to the date and on my way there, I got myself married, divorced and pissed off before I even met the guy because I was just playing out this whole narrative, you know, sabotage situation that's going on. So I think finding quality people you don't know that until you find somebody and spend some time with them and figure out who they are. I think George Carlin had this whole comedy routine about how for the first six months or something, you're dating that person's representative. This is true. Yeah. And so you Love want that. to make sure that you are as authentic as you can be earlier on in that relationship. Now, I'm not saying we're just going to go like, here's my baggage, take it or leave it. What do you think? Kind of strategy, which I also employed. And <laughs> Those dates then ended you, you don't quick. really want the person to stay because they're attracted to the baggage. So you don't want to do that. That needs to come out <laughs> during little bits and, and pieces. But it's going to be a, a dating forensic investigation to find that. But I want to go back to what you said before, which is you knowing what your values are first, you knowing who you are and what you want. Is it um, loyalty or and time together, availability, all of these pieces? That's where you yeah, knowing your love language, I think, is a good one, too, Helen, where yep. not only do I have the list of values for me, but values for myself, but I also took time to do love language tasks. Yep. And I will have that as a pretty early discussion, maybe yes. not the first coffee, which for me, by the way, Helen, when you said you went to dinner on that first date yeah. after 10 months, yeah. I was like, no, Helen, no dinners. Yeah, no I didn't know. Yet. Tom, I didn't know back yeah. then. Coffee, yeah. coffee. Coffee so with a beginning and end time. You need a yeah. beginning and I, an and end only time. Leave an hour. Yeah. yeah, only leave an hour for it. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, the ones that you want to have end in an hour, Great. And yeah. in an hour, I've had coffees that lasted two, three hours with yeah. people I was interested in. Yeah. And those wound up becoming some good relationships out of that. Um, right. I do think that getting out there on dating apps is many brothers that I've talked to, many mm -hmm. fellow widows as well. They've had good luck with it, although there's mm -hmm. a lot of scamming and catfishing going on <laughs> yes. to be careful about. Yeah. And I do think that over time, I, although I met at least two great women through that process, mm -hmm. um, one that I was with for quite a while, mm -hmm. it it's when I went back to it for a hot minute, it was really shallow to me. It was like yeah. scrolling through a catalog and I, I did not feel like it was the best way possible. I think it does expand your yeah. horizons a little bit. Yeah. And I and I think that the way I approached it was also, I think, good. In that when I went on the dates there, as opposed to you, Helen, who went through and had yourself, you know, married, <laughs> divorced, like, like within, I went and I said, you know what, I, I'm here just to kind of meet somebody mm -hmm. and have an adventure of meeting someone with mm -hmm. zero expectations. Yeah, you were practicing. So <laughs> yeah. And, and I think there was something good about that. Yeah, so I think I dating apps for practice yes. are good. Yeah. And it's not like you can't meet someone, but going in with zero expectations and making sure they're coffee dates only. Yes. Having healthy um, limits and boundaries with it. Yeah. 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 Now I think for more serious relationships or where I've had, where I think 
luck for me where it matched my values a lot better is the coffee shop. Mm -hmm. Met plenty of great people there. Yeah, agreed. Um, exercise, exercise classes. Mm -hmm. So class exercise mm -hmm. groups, whether that be yoga or cycle cycling, I go to cycle bar mm -hmm. and spin class. Um, whether it be like body pump at the Y or at mm -hmm. the gym, I think those are good environments because you almost build like for me, my spin class and my yoga class are like second families. Yeah, yeah. Especially with work from home and COVID, right? When when the exercise classes open back up, that's sometimes the only people I see are a coffee shop. Yeah. You know, other than my puppy at home, yeah. coffee shop, the spin class and yoga. So they, they can be very social environments. And you're already um, aligned. You're aligned with yeah, and you're already. already aligned on those. So those are values. Yeah. Church is another great one where yep. I've met some great people at worship nights and, and things like that. And then also, I think hobbies. I've, we've had a couple of brothers that have started to take up new hobbies, whether yes. it be art yep. or dancing or other things like that. Writing, uh, a couple have taken up a writing class that I know. And that's been really, really helpful mm -hmm. for them to meet. Mm -hmm. And again, it's all aligned on the value. Yep. Exactly. Uh, and then the friends and the blind dates. You know, I met my, um, my wife on a blind date. And uh, a dear friend set us up yeah. and I'm dating someone now who it was, it was a blind date mm -hmm. set up. I mean, I, we knew each other, but we didn't know that we were interested mm -hmm. in each other. So mm -hmm. this person kind of spurred it on a dear joint friend of ours. And um, that can be a wonderful way too, because they come vetted. However, yeah. then it leads to pressure on it. friends <laughs> just yeah, trying to set you up with I've got a friend. There's a yeah. song. It's a great song that, <laughs> that a, uh, uh, a, uh, uh, a songwriter uh, recommended to me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's so perfect. I've got a friend and they're perfect for you. And, you know, as the song goes on. So so that can be troublesome as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's no perfect way. And I think there you isn't. just got to put, put yourself out there. Right. You're not going to meet anyone staying at home. Right. Um, don't be afraid to practice. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, yeah. too, personality style factors in here because for those who are more introverted, they're not going to want to go out to those bigger social situations. And so for them, <laughs> it can be a little bit more helpful to start with the apps and do it that way um, because yeah. they're not the ones who are going to engage in conversation. And, yeah. uh, you know, we have this male-female dynamic piece where the male is supposed to engage in the conversation first, which is difficult for someone who's introverted to initiate that. So in that sense, I think that can be helpful for that personality style. Um, and then time constraints and location restraints and things like that can be helpful. But I have to say, with a dating app, I think it's better to have that hour coffee earlier on. Just go for the coffee because then you'll know what you yeah. lost an hour and, and that's it. Yeah. You know, I've got a friend of mine, Helen, uh, a guy friend who is on dating apps every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he'll psychoanalyze every one of them. Mm -hmm. And to me, that wasn't that important. They didn't need to be perfect or seem like they were perfect. Right. You know, to me, it was about just meeting people and yeah. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, again, I'm a little bit more, I'm still introverted, but quite a bit extroverted as yeah. well. Um, so balanced between E and I. And um, you're an ambivert. Yeah, so for me, it's a little bit, little bit easier. You know, I can turn on the extrovert mm -hmm. and then, but I do need my quiet writing time kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I, 
if you're not against doing that, you know, and I know for introverts, it's a little bit harder to get out there, but just, I find that people overthink yeah. on the, you know, they're, they're projecting into the future. Like, well, will, will they like yes. me? Will they not like me? Is this person, yeah. someone I could be with for the rest of my life? Yes. And it's important exactly. to have a checklist and be mindful, but when it comes to that first date or the second date or the third right. date, just, just, it's just coffee. It's just coffee. Yeah. Right. And even after the third day, you know, you don't have to be thinking about the rest of your life. Just, and I'll tell my clients this thing about practicing. And when you go to have no agenda other than to enjoy coffee and that's it, just like you said, the opposite of what I did that second time. (laughs) And then you could be yourself a little bit more yeah, too, which it, I think is important. Exactly. You know, to get your authentic self out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because we can put on these masks and try to be perfect in these dates. And I think that's the exact opposite of what you need to be. Right. You want to be just as authentic as you can. If you're nervous, say you're nervous. Yeah. For the introverts, I think because the app brokers that first connection, um, it's easier because you're just going for coffee with one person. So it sort of opens that door for them um, in that sense. So it's positive in that way. And not everybody has the confidence that you might have, Tom, or or, or I might have with talking to people. You and I are both, we're, we strike up conversations with complete strangers at a coffee shop all the yeah. time. So <laughs> we're sort of practiced <laughs> at that, but not everybody is in that sense. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So. One last topic to talk about, and that's families. You know, mm-hmm. as we start dating and as we start getting out there, I mean, we'll definitely have another episode about, you know, as you get into dating, kind of how to make sure it goes the right way and everything yeah. else. But what I want to talk about now is families and kind of, you've, you had two kids, yeah. I have two kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes it could be hard on them. Yeah. Who yeah. you're dating. Um, meeting that person maybe for the first time and when you do that. I mean, there's a lot there. Mm -hmm. And then in-laws, I know that you've had to, you know, address Mm -hmm. that in in some of your relationships or thinking about Mm -hmm. that at least. So talk about family. Yeah, right. And and again, every family is different, right? For some kids, and and some of this is age as well, developmental age and um, so my eldest daughter was would be sobbing three months after David died. When am I going to get a new daddy? I don't have a daddy. I mean, she would be sobbing and asking me about that. And I'd be like, well, no, not time right now. <laughs> There's going to be no new dad for a while <laughs> kind of thing. But, you know, if the children are teenagers, they usually do not take well to that. And it can be very difficult. The thing that I did that I don't really recommend is because I was so concerned when my kids were little about bringing new people in, because I saw the effects of, of, I had a a relationship that was a little longer than a year. Right. And, um, but then I knew that that relationship was not a long-term relationship for me. We weren't aligned in the ways that I would need to be. I never fell in love and, you know, I'm not going to be in a long-term relationship looking to a future. If I'm not in love with someone, he wasn't in love with me either. Um, clearly. (laughs) Um, so I ended it, but the challenge with the family is you're now having another loss for your kids, Mm -hmm. which is really difficult. 
on on top of that and then yeah. if you're bringing someone into a family environment and you're connected with your in-laws they struggle they can struggle with accepting uh -oh. someone new or a replacement um and that kicks up their grief you know it can kick up a yeah. resentment um and then with the kids you know they they've lost mom or they've lost dad and they have you and then now your time is being shared over here and potentially with someone who also has children who then they get part of you as well so kids can be really upset about that and um, need the reassurance that you are dad and they are your priority and will stay mm -hmm. your priority and blended families can be really difficult down the road yeah. with that piece. Blended families are difficult anyway with divorce. Um, but when there's one parent who's deceased and then the other one who maybe is divorced, that makes it really difficult because this person over here still has both parents, maybe just in different locations. And, and now this person over here is sharing time over here with somebody who still has both parents. And so managing the perception and the expectations along the way, talking with the kids about it, checking in, normalizing their feelings, but still making the decision as an adult. Then, you know, not letting, a, you know, a raging 14 year old dictate that you're not allowed to date. <laughs> yeah, there, there like, is someone that I know who's a widow who who the son flat out says, you know, I I never want to see you with another man. You you are not yes. getting married ever again. Yeah, that's yes. that's yes. tough, and she's going to have a hard time introducing anyone to that right. son. Right, and yeah. and so with that, there's something to watch out for, and that is the fact that sometimes. Um, an adult, a parent will enroll their child in the emotional role as co-parent, as spouse, <laughs> emotionally, and start trying to meet their needs through that child, especially teenagers, because they like the responsibility. They like to step up. They want to be in charge. They <laughs> want to be in control. So you have to be really careful because once that adolescent is enrolled in that role as the parent or the adult or the, the surrogate spouse, they will mm -hmm. not de-enroll from that, and yeah. it's going to be a yeah. fracture. The Helen, best thing is for the teenager to date someone, for them to get a girlfriend yeah. or a boyfriend. That's the best thing. Yeah. <laughs> then they can yeah. be busy over there Well, dad goes And then I think start to understand some of the relationship dynamics, mm -hmm. too, as they go through it. Mm -hmm. You know, they know what you're going through. Yeah. Um, and some of us have, you know, children who weren't in the dating world when we lost our spouse. Right. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of complexity there. And Helen, we could talk for a we while can. on this. We will come back to the yeah. dating topic, definitely. But for now, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our growth warriors with today? With dating. Um, well, yeah, I'm going to take dating. the piece that you said, which is be introspective first so you know where you are, because knowing where and who you are is what points you in the direction of where and who with you want to go. And then I'm going to add a second one, and that is um, introduce 
people to your children and to the family when you're sure there's going to be some continuity? Don't do it very quickly because you mm -hmm. don't want to have a revolving door in and out. You know, you want to see and make sure that this is someone you're going to be with for a chunk of time. Yeah, and manage yeah. the kids' Love expectations. Love, Love the advice, Helen. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for participating in the Growth Through Grief podcast. You're welcome. And uh, thank you all for listening to this podcast. If you liked what you heard, please press the like. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. And until next time, my growth warriors, keep growing.